0: Good morning. Good to see you guys. So, welcome everybody. I guess
1: I will go ahead and begin our talk. So this is the my second talk on the subject of the poison of greed. And this one focus is focusing more on working with greed in practice. And I think this is a subject where... There will be a lot for you to talk about in your small groups because I have a feeling that you all have your own ways of working with this feeling and your own suggestions of what works for you and doesn't work for you. So last week I talked about different aspects of this poison of greed. You know, what we mean by greed and the various flavors that greed has, how it goes from just the simple... Desire for pleasant experiences to craving and clinging to the point where, you know, you do just about anything to get what you want and hang on to it in a way that can be really destructive. Talked a little bit about wholesome and unwholesome desires and how sometimes it's really the attachment piece that makes the difference. How a desire that Normally would be wholesome can become not so wholesome when we get so intent on having that no matter what else is going on in our environment. And then I talked a little bit about the greedy personality type or greedy personality tendency. You know, something that we all have aspects of and that we all fall into and how we can notice that tendency to really gravitate towards what's pleasant and ignore what maybe isn't so pleasant and transform this very natural tendency into qualities like appreciation for the good and beautiful, uh, feelings of faith and openness to all of life. So today I'm going to talk about some more specific ways to practice with this poison of greed in our meditation practice in our daily life. And so something we may want to consider when we're thinking about working with greed is that all of us are householders. We're lay practitioners. So we're naturally more involved with what you might call worldly pleasures and attachments than, you know, say if we were a monastic. We don't normally have this kind of structure that they would have in our daily lives that separates us from what might be considered temptations. And in fact, we probably would have maybe a hard time functioning in our work and family lives, if we had those kind of restrictions. So I think especially for us, it's really important to learn to work with greed in all of its manifestations and learn to be with pleasant experience in a skillful and wise way. And so this brings us back to what I mentioned last week about the difference between the two Pali words that can be translated as greed, raga and lobha. So you might remember that raga is this liking and enjoying of sense pleasures, though it's not at somebody else's expense, where lobha, on the other hand, is when this liking and desire gets so strong that you're really craving and clinging, and you want more even when you have enough, and you're You kind of really want these good things just to be there for you. You're jealous of others that have them too. And you don't want to share your good things. And you're willing to do pretty much what you need to do to get what you want. This kind of mindset where you're really blind to the effects of your craving and going after what you want to the bad consequences for yourself and for other people. So as lay people, as I mentioned, we have a lot of opportunity to experience raga. And generally, this is probably, you know, okay most of the time. But at the same time, I think we all realize that the stronger our attachments are and the more we're identified with our pleasures The more painful it is when they change or go away and the more problems our attachment can cause. And this isn't to say that we shouldn't have, you know, healthy attachments to our family, to our friends and things like that. But, you know, we also know that when we forget the fact that things do change and we insist on having them the way that they are, and feel like they will always be that way, it can cause pain. So how can we keep our natural enjoyment of our pleasures from slipping over into the kind of greed that really can cause harm to ourselves and others? What is a wise and skillful way to be with pleasure? It's kind of a challenging question, really. And if we have a moralistic sort of tendency or maybe an ascetic sort of tendency, we might think that the most skillful way to be with pleasant experience is to avoid it altogether. And we might think, well, you know, I'm not supposed to have sensual desires, so I'll renounce and avoid everything that feels tempting. You know, sort of (laughs) no sex, drug and rock and roll, you know. No junk food, no fancy food, no coffee, et etc. et cetera. I don't need nice clothes. I don't need a nice house. I don't need distracting entertainment and so forth because if I'm around these things, I might feel wanting. So it's like get rid of everything that might tempt us to be attached to it. Now, of course, really doing that is Probably not something many of us would do, but we can have this sort of mindset that if it's pleasant, it's got to be bad. And, you know, of course, in some cases, it might really be the wisest thing to avoid pleasures that aren't very good for us and are too hard for us to resist. And this definitely is true for drugs and alcohol if we have issues that way. You know, for sexual attractions we might have when we know that really it's not wise to follow up on our urges because it's going to create trouble, or maybe gambling or shopping, or maybe it's just certain foods, and I think we all have those foods, you know, the Cheetos or the potato chips or the chocolate cake or whatever, where we know if we've got it in the house, we're going to eat it, and so we don't let it in the house very often. And, of course, too, there's also something to be said for living simply. And masnastics certainly live with a high level of simplicity and renunciation, so they can really devote themselves to their practice and also avoid being a burden on the community. And as lay people, it doesn't hurt us to let go of some of our stuff and some of our distractions. So we can devote our time and resources to things that are really more beneficial in the long run. And we, when we go on retreat, we do that for a fixed period of time. We refrain from reading, from entertainment, certainly from alcohol and drugs, from eating meat usually, from conversation. And it isn't necessarily because these things are inherently bad. Some of them, in fact, are very healthy things to do in our ordinary life. No one would consider reading or conversing with other people as bad. But we let them go so we can concentrate more fully on our meditation practice. And this kind of renunciation can sometimes be a help for us in our daily lives too. But I think it's important to be aware that it shouldn't be done out of a sense of aversion or fear of the pleasant but more out of an or out of an idea that if it's if it's pleasant that it has to be wrong or if, or it has to be evil more out of a sense of I'll let go of this to make space for something better or this thing is something that it's too hard for me to handle so it's better for me to avoid it and back away. Another variation on avoiding desire by avoiding the pleasant that you might have heard of is that the goal of our practice to, is to get to a point where all of our experience registers as a neutral. If it, is, it isn't painful. it isn't pleasant, we're neither attached to it nor averse to it, um, you know, it's just neutral. But how realistic is that? I mean, I would say it's not very realistic. You know, things will register for us as painful or pleasant. And from what I've also heard in the teachings, our perceptions of something as pleasant, painful, or neutral is tied in so deeply with our conditioning that, We have a sense of that almost as soon as our awareness of the object comes up itself. And this isn't to say that the feeling tone is a permanent part of the object or that it's never going to change, but more that our sense of pleasant or unpleasant or neutral arises so instinctively that we don't have a lot of control over. And I think it's worth remembering, too, that when we look at this process of noticing painful, pleasant, and neutral, and what we do with it in the cycle of dependent origination, we don't get off the cycle by ceasing to feel pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. We get off of the cycle by ceasing to react to that with craving or with clinging. If something is pleasant or we don't have to feel this need to attach onto it, we can just experience the pleasant while it's there. We don't feel that compulsion to try to get more of it and to keep it. So the idea of everything becoming neutral in a way I feel is sort of like confusing equanimity with indifference. It's kind of I'm not detached to this thing because it's no longer pleasant to me. It's just neutral, so I don't care about it one way or the other. But my sense is that isn't how the practice really works. Its aim isn't to take us to the place where nothing really gives us pleasure any longer and we're indifferent about everything. It's more to the place where we can feel the pleasant, but we are wise enough to know that it's going to change, it's going to end,
0: and it's not worth clinging to in a way that's going to cause harm. It's
1: kind of like the way that Susan and I have both said in earlier talks, that the pleasant experience itself isn't really the problem. So, of course, as I said before, there are things that feel pleasant in the short term but are pretty harmful in the long term if we take them to excess. But most of the time the problem comes not from the pleasant itself but because of our relationship with that pleasant thing and it really gets out of balance. So if we're not trying to avoid the pleasant except when it really is a wise and necessary choice to keep from harming ourselves or others, and we aren't trying to get to a place of indifference about pleasant experience, what's a skillful response? Well, I'd say one of the most important things, and I think this has been said before by Tweri, I think, mentioned this, and we have two. One of the most important things is to have a really good understanding of the three characteristics that we just finished studying. So if you really understand and accept the truth of impermanence, you realize that no pleasant experience is going to last forever, and you're less likely to try to pursue it and hang on to something that's going to change or end anyway. And if you understand something about anada, you understand that your pleasant experiences aren't you, and they aren't a reflection of you, and you aren't really in control of them. So you'll be less likely to insist on clinging them to them so it can bolster your self-image. And if you understand the truth of dukkha, you'll be aware that pain and dissatisfaction are things that always come into our life and let come with always wanting more. And you want to be free of that second arrow of always wanting more and being dissatisfied with what is. So the clearer and deeper understanding of the three, three characteristics we have, the less likely we are to really have big problems with greed, craving, and clinging because we understand And we see what we're doing and are able to realize, oh, this isn't a wise way to go before it gets too bad. And I'd like to also share some more specific suggestions that I've found helpful and that teachers have told me about. And you can apply them when pleasant things come up when you're on the meditation cooking cushion on the meditation cooking I don't think so when you're on the meditation cushion or in daily life too though sometimes it's more challenging to do these things in daily life because we're so caught in the middle of everything so the first thing is to have enough awareness to notice ah this is pleasant or maybe this shows up for you as a feeling of oh I like this And then you can let yourself experience that feeling in the body or the mind of this pleasantness as directly as you can, noticing the way it changes. Maybe it gets more intense. Maybe it fades away. Finally, it probably ends, moves to something else. And then being aware of what's happening in the mind during this pleasant experience. You know, noticing if you have fantasies arising about keeping this pleasant experience or getting more, or if you have a kind of tension coming up associated with wanting to keep it or get more, or worrying about whether it's going to last. And if that kind of tension arises, you can bring your attention to it, noticing what it feels like, you know, really experiencing this feeling of wanting. Not your fantasy about how great will it be when you have this pleasant thing, but the feeling of wanting itself. And what I think you'll probably see if you really let yourself do that, you see that the feeling of wanting really isn't that pleasant. There's some restlessness there. There's some sense of worry there, a sense of not being quite at ease or not being quite satisfied. And you also might notice that you're so worried about whether or not you can hang on to the pleasant experience that you aren't really enjoying it anymore. And, you know, how crazy is that? We want pleasure so much, but we can deprive ourselves of the pleasure with our obsession with hanging on to it and keeping it. And so when you really see this, it's a big help because we see how unprotect, unproductive and painful all that clinging and craving is. And we're more willing to just drop back into experiencing the pleasant as it's happening, as long as it lasts, and letting it go when it goes. And you might say that this is really understanding grief through the lens of dukkha. And in addition to noticing this pain of wanting, I think it's really important, too, to notice the relief and contentment we feel when that wanting isn't present. It's good to allow ourselves to really appreciate how nice it is when we're simply with whatever is arising in the present moment and we're not feeling a need for something more or something better or something different. You know, really... Letting us ourselves experience that sense of contentment and equanimity. And I think it's really important to let ourselves feel it when it's present so we know that it's possible. And we know that we don't have to be continually caught up in wanting. That there
0: really are moments of freedom from that. And then, as I said before, working skillfully with the pleasant is
1: really noticing impermanence too and really being able to notice how your pleasant experience changes. How long does it last? Does it fade and something gets your attention really quickly? Does it become neutral or even unpleasant if it goes on too long? Sometimes that happens. Can you make it stay if it's already changing or passing? So if we really see for ourselves that this pleasant thing isn't going to last, it isn't going to stay forever, we can't control it, we can't make it happen or keep it from changing, then we stop trying so much and we're more apt to enjoy it while it's here, be grateful that we have it, and then when it changes and passes, We have this understanding. You know that's the way things are. And we don't worry so much about trying to get it back. I had an interesting experience with this the last time I was on retreat up in Canada. And I went through a period where I had some really, really pleasant body feelings during this retreat, um, sometimes what's known as rapture. And usually when this happens... I get at least a little bit caught up in wanting the pleasant feelings to continue and wondering if they'll come back and what's the next thing to be like and all that kinds of stuff, and there's some tension in, in it. And it was interesting because this time that didn't really happen so much. I think because before those pleasant feelings arose, There had been a whole strong sense of impermanence. You know, we'd been talking about it before I even went on retreat. I was seeing it when I was in my experience on retreat. So there was a really a sense when this pleasant thing came up was, well, this is nice, but why bother to worry about what's going to happen to these pleasant feelings? It's really out of my control, you know. I, there was this something really understanding. I have no clue about what's going to happen next or if this is going to rise again. And so it was like, I'm not going to worry about it. Why worry about it? And there wasn't any kind of sense of, you know, oh, I'm being so virtuous, I'm not attached, nothing like that. It was really... Practical. It was sort of like, this is really nice, but who knows what's going to happen next, so I'm not going to worry about it. And I know that there are other situations that are going to come up where I will get caught in wanting, and I will try to hold on to things I can't hold on to or get something that's not under my control to get. But for that particular moment, there was enough wisdom that it didn't make sense to me to try to hold on. And it really helped me to see how important it is to really have that three characteristics and how it helps us to be skillful. This talk is kind of going on a bit longer than I thought, but I'll continue. Um, And, of course, I think it's important to remember, too, that... uh, And be kind to ourselves because, you know, it's not so hard to have that attitude of non-clinging when we're watching a sunset or eating an ice cream cone or even having a pleasant meditation experience. But it's a lot more challenging when the thing that changes or ends is a really big thing in our lives. You know, our relationship with someone that's dear to us maybe a home where we felt safe and secure, a livelihood that's been a really source of great satisfaction to you, some physical ability. And so it's hard. It's painful when those things change. But I think that practicing with these smaller things prepares us for the big things. And, too, if passing of something... Important and pleasant in your life. Bring some sorrow or grief. That's normal. That's natural. I think that's to be expected. And the practice isn't going to protect us from that. But it can protect us from getting caught up in that second arrow where we react to that pain and that very natural grief of the loss with despair, with blaming, with resentment, and all of those things that can make our natural grief even more painful. I think, too, and this came up uh, last week, that when we explore greed, it's good for us to notice what's fueling that feeling of wanting. It might be just as simple as being attracted to something that's enjoyable, but often there's more to it, especially if it's strong and problematic maybe underneath that desire for food or entertainment or material things there's feeling of boredom or meaninglessness or loneliness that we're trying to satisfy maybe a deep sense of insecurity so we feel we need to have more and more so we can feel safe or maybe our sense of self is so deeply bound up into our possessions or abilities that we can't let go of our need to hang on to those things because we feel like if we lose them, it imply, implies
0: something really terrible about ourselves. I need to kind of wrap up here, but, um, you know, so looking underneath
1: is also an important part of working with this. Uh, sense of greed and addressing what's underneath and what's fueling it. It's also really helpful to cultivate a more um, wholesome attitude towards the pleasant by cultivating appreciative joy and gratitude. And this is something that might come pretty naturally if we have a tendency to notice and appreciate beautiful things. So, you know, when that feeling comes up, Notice it, pay attention to those feelings of how lovely this is and how lucky I am to be able to experience and And let that be more the predominant attitude rather than, how can I get more of this? How can I keep this? And I think having this attitude of really recognizing and appreciating the pleasant aspects of our lives also helps us to get a sense that maybe we really do have enough and we don't need all these things we think that we need and when we feel like that there's naturally less wanting or you know less obsessive wanting and more contentment and this can also help with the part of greed that's jealousy of others you know when we realize that we do have a lot of good things in our lives we're more able to Be glad that others have them too and not feel so envious of other people. Generosity too is a wonderful antidote to greed. Practicing sharing what we have in the way that's appropriate for us. So we realize that it's safe to do that and we feel the joy of sharing. And I think, too, there are times when we might want to intentionally practice renunciation. This can be a good way of really getting more understanding about wanting and the feeling of wanting. You know, like maybe when we give up something we usually enjoy, you know, it can be a small thing. that isn't so hard to give up, kind of a minor pleasure, just to put ourselves in that place where we really... Force ourselves to feel that sense of wanting and to learn how to be okay with it, to be with it until it passes, and to work with it in a way that shows us that just because this feeling comes up, we don't have to rush to get something to get away from it. And I think that can be a very helpful practice to do now and then we're in
0: that. In that, when we're in the kind of a mindset to want to do that.
1: So many things we can look at. I think the biggest one really is awareness and mindfulness to notice what's going on when pleasant things arise and seeing our tendencies having a clear understanding of the impermanence of these pleasant things and the pain when we get too greedy for these things, seeing what's driving our greed, if it's more than just wanting. So lots, and maybe practicing renunciation from time to time to get a better sense that just because we have a feeling of wanting something doesn't mean that we have to Satisfy that wanting just to get rid of that craving feeling. We can be with craving. So there's some ideas about working with this poison of greed. Lots of things to work with, lots of ways to deal with it, and
0: I think a challenge for all of us. So let's sit together for just a moment. And I'd like to close with a few
1: words from another poem from First Free Women, this by the Nan Uttama. And it sort of reminds us of the truth about being too attached to those things in the world that don't last. She says, How could this world possibly give you what
0: you're looking for? When it's so busy falling apart, just like you. Look closely. Don't move until you see it. Thank you so much for your kind attention. Um, There was a
1: lot there to cover, but there's a lot going on with this subject of greed. And I'm hoping that maybe it sort of made you think a little bit about your own ways that you work with this tendency of greed and wanting. So now we have some time for small group discussion. And if you're unable to stay for the group discussion today, this is a great uh, time for you to say goodbye. And we're very happy you could join us for the sit and the talk. That's always wonderful. And we know that especially these summer months, we can't always stay for
0: everything. So I'll give a few moments for people to say bye. And it looks like things are kind of settled down.
1: So I will put you into your groups. And um, for our discussion today, I'd invite you to share your own experience of working with greed and maybe of the practices and techniques I mentioned. Maybe there are some that you've tried and worked really well for you. Maybe some that haven't worked well. Maybe some you think you'd like to try and haven't yet. So sharing what practices and techniques really are good for you and working with this, um, uh, emotion of greed and what you've learned in your experience with it. So,
0: um, put you into, into your groups and have about 15 minutes or so to talk with each other. Hi, well welcome back everybody (laughs) Nice to see
1: you here again And so now we have um, some time If you would like to share anything that was You talked about in your small groups Or thoughts about what works for you
0: And doesn't work for you And um, working with these feelings of greed and wanting
1: Um, you're welcome to unmute yourself and do that. You can raise your virtual hand in Zoom or you can just raise your hand like this and I should be able to see you or somebody else will notice you and tell me that you're trying to talk. So the floor is open to anyone who would like to speak. Oh, yes, let's see. Michelle. Um, I didn't talk about this in my group at all, but it just occurred to me with – With um, more material wanting, somebody suggested to me years before I got involved in the Dharma, if you really want something, a good strategy is to wait a day or a week and see if you still want it. And I thought that was such a good idea. You know, I didn't have the formal concept of impermanence through formal training, but I very quickly recognized that things I want today, I might not want tomorrow and and I've always held to that
0: and it's been very helpful. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Michelle. It's I I too <laughs> have had that advice and it really works for me. Me too. Yeah. Because often, you know, that thing that I felt like I had to have that I saw, you know, in the department store, I get home the next day. Hmm. <laughs> It really does work, and that's a good reminder that our feelings of
0: wanting are not permanent. So thank you for sharing that. That's such a simple thing, and it's so easy to uh, uh, apply. So let's see. Was Lillian, I think, wanted to speak, or whoever? Yeah. Yeah, uh, we talked in our group, uh, we talked about, impermanence and then kind of the interplay between greed and aversion um specifically with regard to the weather and the season um and I guess it was just interesting because in kind of reflecting back on that I'm noticing this sort of like frustration with myself or almost just like how am I still here in this mindfulness practice um because like every day we wake up and things are different and things change and every day the weather fluctuates and every day I have like this clinging to the pleasant or this aversion to the gray and drizzly. And um I don't know, I just wanted to share that because I think sometimes with at least with, for me this month of thinking about greed, kind of the first pit is like the frustration pit of like, how am I still here? So.
1: When you say, how am I still here? You mean, how is it that I'm still struggling with this when I keep seeing every day that things are changing? Is that, is that what you meant?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I think that (laughs) how many others have that same feeling? I bet we all do. (laughs) It's, I don't know. It just seems
0: like it takes so long for it to penetrate. It, takes so long, I at least I find that for me, it takes a long time for that wisdom to
1: penetrate. And, I mean, I feel like I sort of, I catch myself sooner than I might have done before. But I find myself caught plenty of times. But then there are times when I'm not. So, yeah, I think you're not alone in that kind of struggle of feeling like, when am I ever going to actually get this, <laughs> so I don't get caught in the frustration?
0: And I think that's it. Linda had her hand up. Oh, okay. Yes, Linda. Yeah, it it was
2: up for a minute, but, but well, it sort of dovetails with what Lillian was saying. I think we talked in our group about just the pervasiveness of greed in our lives and. Uh, one thing that you said that really resonated for me was that if we practice with the small things, it prepares us for the bigger things. And we, I mean, we have so many opportunities to practice. So I think um I really appreciate, you know, we can start with the weather and <laughs> the chocolate chip cookie that we are going to deny ourselves of or whatever. But I think it's that um, it's just so pervasive in our lives. this, opportunity to be greedy and cling to cling to our desires so so i appreciate that
0: practice with the small things very much mm yeah i mean i think it does help and um and i think when when we feel like we can do that it just Maybe, I don't know if
1: it's a thought process, but I think that it seems like it just becomes easier somehow. Yes, Suze? I just wanted to share,
2: it hasn't been spoken of a lot, is the last couple of weeks I've just been filled with stinginess about a request that came to me, which was totally fair. And I was just filled with this, I don't want to. It's mine. I don't want to do it is this little person, this little greedy person. And in the end, it all worked out fine. I ended up doing just what I said I would do, which is to share this thing. And But the experience of watching this little, I call her little because it feels like the little self that is not, it's not consistent with my value system about what I aspire to be. You know, I aspire to be generous and kind and reasonable and friendly and yada, yada, and a good Dharma student. And there I was, just this toddler. It's my toy, and I don't want to give it up. So I just wanted to share that it was a really good process for that time. I kept on asking myself, what am I getting out of being so stingy, feeling all of that? It felt awful. And it was especially awful in terms of the the image I have of myself. Oh my goodness, there was such a dissonance. So I just wanted to share that when it comes up, it's not a bad thing to just be with it. You know, I fortunately I didn't say it to the person who asked me to share. <laughs> you know, I just kind of shared it with my friends. And in the end I did what was the right thing to do. And you know, and I'm waiting till the next time when that comes up again. But oof, it was it was intense. So
0: just wanted to share that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. That's a, I
1: think that's a really good reminder to all of us. It's really easy for us to really get down on ourselves when these kinds of things happen. But I think doing what you did, Suze, of being willing to actually explore it say, oh, okay, this is how I'm feeling. And it we can recognize it's an opportunity to learn. Because if we don't let ourselves experience these not-so-wonderful feelings and try to pretend we don't have them, even when we do, we really can never see our way through them. They're just buried. And so yeah that's wonderful thank you for sharing that and it's a good reminder to us that this stuff comes up
0: for all of us and to maybe see it as learning uh kelby yeah um i talked about this a little bit in my group but it just reminded me of something else i think i think joseph goldstein said something about like
2: um like take the pleasant thing to like the logical conclusion like for instance, I just had my first tap class after like 7 months of not tapping. <laughs> um and I was in the class and I was like I love this, like I never want this to end, but I just thought I was like if I literally tapped for the rest of the day, I would like die. Like <laughs> my leg would like my leg would be completely harmed. like it would just be a really bad experience. So it's like if you can just I'm like okay, I have an hour of tap. It's so great. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go to Sims Sims is so great. And then it's like, and then this week I'm like, you can look forward to it next week. You don't have to do it
0: all right now, all at once. Like <laughs> so um that was like a relevant thing that happened this morning. Mm, thank you for
1: sharing that. That's great. I'm glad you're doing tap. <laughs> That's wonderful. It's fun. Um, I don't do tap, but I do every dance, so it's fun. But yeah, this is a good point too that these things we think are going to be so pleasant that we want it all the time. It actually isn't that pleasant <laughs> if it goes on too long. <laughs> I think there are many things like that. You know, it's pleasant for a while, but, you know, like, like this warm weather or something like that, we can say, oh, it's so nice, but if it keeps going and going, you know, or many other things. But so, you know, even even what we think of as very pleasant can become tiresome or unpleasant and it's great you're recognizing having the uh, wisdom to recognize that okay let's see uh Lillian and Nikhil. i think this maybe can be our last comment so i can go on and do uh
0: announcements and we can end sort of on time so um, yeah. that just um the way you phrase that kind of remind me of
2: clinging towards life and just kind of like impermanence in general, where
0: it's oftentimes,
2: you know, so the idea of not existing is so horrible. And we just like want to cling to that idea of like living forever. And oftentimes when I think about if I did actually have to live forever, that sounds horrible. Like, you know, just like having to go through, you know, there's almost like the sense of release of the fact that we know that we die and things are going to end at some point. And, but it's so easy to lose sight of that too. and just want things to just continue on forever. And yeah, uh, when you mentioned that, this just kind of brought that to mind for me. Mm.
1: Yeah, that kind of brings us down to a more deeper and serious implications of, of this. But yeah, I think we do often feel like we would, well, we don't really think about the implications of living forever. We just are afraid of what
0: we know ending. And going into the unknown, so yeah, but that's that's a very uh maybe a deep place of exploring this sense of clinging too, and something that we all need
1: to explore as we move through life and get older, you know it's going to end for all of us, so thank you for mentioning that. appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for being here today. We went over a little bit, but not too much, just a bit. (laughs) So I
0: think hopefully that's okay. Um, Really nice to see you and have a wonderful rest of the day.